I'm going to invite you to take your Bible or whatever device you use to get to your Bible, and we're going to return to the book of First Thessalonians this morning. First Thessalonians, we'll pick up where Roman left off last week, and that is in verse 17. And as you're turning there, just let me say a, a word of thanks to our church family. Those of you who have been coming during the Bible study hour at 9 o'clock, the junior high and up among our adults have been meeting here in the auditorium, then just learning again, receiving some training on how to share the gospel through a curriculum called Three Circles of Evangelism. And I'm grateful for Ramon's leadership in that. It's been a great couple of weeks. We've got four more weeks, and so I want to encourage you to, to get your reps in. And then may God give you a passion, a burden for those around you, those who you prayed for this morning to be able to share the gospel with them. This morning... We're going to continue on here in 1 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 2, verse 17. Would you just follow along with me? We'll read to verse 5 of chapter 3. This is Paul writing these words. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, and that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer... I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Would you join me and pray? And here's the theme of, I think, this text today is Paul's just affection and love for the church. And as we're working through these verses together, I'm going to be posing this question to you as I have by myself all week And that is, do you share the same love and affection for the people of the church as Paul did? Let's pray for that. Father, we thank you for the scriptures today. We realize that these are breathed out by you. And that this is not just a a man sketching out with some ink some words. But you have given these words to us, the words of life. There may be some that haven't eaten breakfast this morning and come in feeling a little weak and famished, but these words, the words of truth, we are to live on even more than bread, and they are going to provide spiritual strength for us today and throughout this week. So I pray, Father, as we learn more about how we are to look at one another within the church, that you would challenge us. The Holy Spirit would take these words and where necessary, he would convict us and do a work within us to say, I want to love like that. I want to love by, based on the gospel, 
to fulfill what love you would want of me here at this local church or if someone is from out of town in their own local church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I was moving down to Fort Worth, Texas to attend a school called a seminary to become a pastor. And before I settled into a local church there in Fort Worth, I decided to go to a church of one of my favorite preachers. His name was Chuck Swindoll. And he was just starting a church north of Dallas in a community called Frisco. And so before I got settled into this local church, me and a couple of new friends drove to North Dallas to see Pastor Swindoll. And as we entered into the building, the first service was wrapping up and they were filing out. And then me and my friends went into the auditorium and there we saw Mr. Swindoll. And I made a beeline for him and I held out my hand to him and I said, listen, You have had such an impact on my life. I am so grateful for your preaching and your ministry. It has helped me through some real challenging times. And I'll never forget that five-minute conversation with him and how personable he was to me and how he made me feel like I was the only one in the room. Now, as the years have gone by, I've read many of his books. In fact, I have a commentary on 1 Thessalonians But the greatest thing that he ever taught me was within that five-minute encounter that people matter, that people in the church matter, and they are worthy of our love and respect. Isn't that true? That we can read lessons and receive some instructions, but when we see it modeled in front of us, that goes much further in our memory banks. And so when we look at this passage today, we see another man who had a deep and profound love for the church. And so this passage today is not so much some instructions, here's three or four ways for you to love the church, rather it's one of just observing this example and saying, hey, is that what your love looks like for the church? Is that how you are coming alongside others in the church? I will tell you that for me this past week, this has been a very convicting passage, and may it convict you too. So let's look at this. If you have an outline with you, you'll see that we're just following Paul's example, and if you're to the point of saying, why would we follow Paul's example, it's because of what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So how is it that Paul observed the church? The first thing we see here is that he would have said, the church is my family. Now that seems so cliche, doesn't it? We, we use that phrase all the time, the church is my family. But it was very true for Paul. In fact, if you just review this chapter, some of the verses that Roman covered last week in chapter 2, verse 1, he's first, for you yourselves know, brothers, and it could have easily said there in the Greek, brothers and sisters. We could go a little bit further in this chapter, and we could see in verse 7, where he says, we were like a nursing mother to you. And we could see in verse 11, for you know how like a father was with his children, we were to you. 
And then again here in verse 17 he says, but since we were torn away from you, and he uses the word brothers. So for the church family, they were like family to him. And here's a really a strong word that we see in verse 17. Look at it with me again. It says, but since we were torn away from you. Now let me give you a little bit of background. Those of you who have been with us for these weeks through 1 Thessalonians, this is just going to be a refresher. For those of you who haven't studied 1 Thessalonians or don't know anything about it, let me just give you a little recap. Paul, and according to verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Silas, or Sylvanius, and Timothy are Christians. And what they do is they take the message of Jesus that in his death, burial, and resurrection, there is forgiveness of sins, and one can have a relationship with God. So they're carrying out what we call the Great Commission, this message that Jesus said, take this message around the world. In the book of Acts, we see the history of the church, where they would go from city to city and share this message. In the 17th chapter, they go into a city called Thessalonica. It still exists today in Greece. And over three Sabbath days, they go into a synagogue and they share this message of Jesus. And a wonderful thing takes place. Many become followers of Jesus. And a church is established. However, there are also people that were opposed to the message of Jesus. And they cause a mini-riot and they chase Paul and his friends out of Thessalonica to a little town called Berea, which was about 40 miles away. And they preach there. Followers of Jesus emerge and they chase them out of Berea as well. And so now Paul finds himself all the way down in Athens. But he has a burden for this new church that is established in Thessalonica. He can't go there because he's a wanted man. So he sends one of his other leaders named Timothy. He sends him back to Thessalonica. So what was that like when these opponents stood up and they chased him out of Thessalonica? Well, we see this word here in verse 17. It is the word torn away. The Greek here is a word aperfanazo, which means orphaned. Here's the picture that Paul provides for us of how painful it was to be removed from his family. It's of a husband and a wife, a father and mother, who have children and have those children ripped from them. And now these children are orphans. Now those of you who have children right now, what would that be like for you? We have all probably known some that have experienced maybe a separation in marriage. And maybe the man has had to move out of the house. And now he is not with his kids. And have you ever heard? Maybe you've experienced that yourself. It is a gut-wrenching pain that has been expressed to me. What am I going to do without my kids? You can take anything else, but don't take my kids. And this is the picture that Paul provides what it was like when he was torn away from his family there in Thessalonica. Maybe another experience, a little closer to home, would be for those of you that are old enough to have a senior in high school or college-age children, to invest your parenting years in this 18-year-old son or daughter. 
and then to drive them to a college and to set them up in their dorm room and make sure they have their bunk bed and, and unload all their gear and then get to that agonizing moment where you've got to say goodbye. And you trained all you can to say what you want and you forget some sentences and some words and you become a puddle of emotion. And then you leave and the man drives, and the, the wife rides in the back seat with some Kleenex the whole way home. She goes to the grocery store the next week and buys supplies that her son or daughter used to like, but then realizes they're not in the home anymore. And they're, they're experiencing this torn away experience. And that is what Paul is expressing. Now, our kids are not old, that old yet, but I can remember my dad explaining to me what it was like to drive my older brother as he was going into the Navy. He drove him down into Milwaukee, and he was going to get ready to go to the Great Lakes Naval Base in that, that slow, agonizing drive to drop him off and send him in to the United States Navy. For Paul, these were not just buddies. These were not just friends. This was family to him. I think we've heard Ramon say, one time him and I went to a conference and we heard this guy named Tahati Lewis and he said this, the church is not like family, the church is family. And, and is that true of you? And what is a family? A family is where we have a father. The, the family is where we hang out with one another, spend a great deal of time and there is loyalty. We all bear the same name, Christ bearers. Christians. We learn to love one another. And if we're honest, we not only fight for each other, but we at times fight with each other, don't we? (laughs) We live together. We eat. We vacation. We laugh. We play. We have hobbies. We work. And we make sacrifices for one another. I can remember a time where Melody was in college in Missouri and her mom and dad knew she was going through a time of discouragement or a low time. So what they do on a Monday morning? They just loaded up, drove eight and a half hours down there, took her out for lunch, and came back to Green Bay. I mean, that's what you do among family, right? And when someone has a, a wonderful event take place, you rejoice with them. But think of your own family, loved ones. Has there not been times where someone other than you, maybe a a brother, a sister, mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, maybe even a cousin or a nephew or a niece, has experienced some sort of pain and it has drove you to emotion? I I can remember I was in that that same seminary down in Fort Worth, and this will date me a little bit. I was at the computer lab checking my email. And it was there where I I read from my mom and stepdad that they had filed for divorce. And I remember the the pain of that. But those were adults. I had sisters that were 13, 14 years old that were twins that I had spent a lot of time with and invested in. And here I am in Texas. Here they are in northern Wisconsin. And I can't do anything about it. That is what tore me up with emotion. I could think of a time where my, my grandfather, my hero, this man that managed his farm in the southwest part of the state, and his wife died in the early 70s, and uh, in her early 70s. And here we were at this little country church, this little uh, Methodist church, small little one, and 
It was just packed full of people. And when her casket came out, and he had to follow it, and here's this mountain of masculinity from a generation where you don't cry. And I can still remember his eyes and trying to fight back the tears. And I ached for him, and it still drives me to emotion if I think about it so much. Well, that is not only true with our blood family, but is that not also true of our church family? That when people are hurting, we hurt as well. And I'm, I'm grateful to see the Beals over here, and, and we have ached with them through this last year, haven't we not? And what a blessing to see you guys here today. And, and I look over on this side, and I think of the Hicks family, how we have ached with Isaiah, praying for him. And, and I think of the Slippies in the middle. We're praying for Chloe, our granddaughter. We, we are aching with them. And if I left one of yours out, forgive me. There's one on the left, one on the right, one in the middle. That's all I can do. Uh, but that's the point. Is that for Paul, they weren't just good friends. They were really family to him. And as we think about this last 13, 14 months in COVID and how we have many times have not been able to meet together and we've had to do stuff online, we have felt that gap, haven't we? And this, this concept of social distancing, we were made for relationships. How do we distance ourselves from one another? We have felt what it is like and we've learned that you can't do this online and, and this isn't a political statement, but even the mask. It is so difficult to, to observe the, the, the body language of another person and to have a great relationship with a person with these masks on. So we see here first that the church was family to him, but you got to know this, according to verse 18, the devil opposes the family because they wanted to return to Thessalonica, but look with me at verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. This word hindered is a military term. It's the idea of an army advancing and an opposing army digging a trench and saying, we are not allowing you to advance. And for some reason, in God's providence, he allowed the devil to hinder that progress where Paul could not return to Thessalonica. But that is the case. And in the same way, the devil will oppose and attack the family, will he not? I mean, just, just trace it back to the garden. How he'll take truth and he'll twist it. How he'll have you question what God's word says. And I've seen this so often Will these thoughts we planted in our mind and we can look around this room and say, these people don't love me. I don't belong here. I don't measure up. If these people knew the sins that I'd committed this week, they would kick me out. Where the truth is all of us are in need of God's grace and of committed sins that we are ashamed of. And so we come and we are reminded of the gospel. And like Jesus... The devil tempts us. And he appeals to our pride and our desires and our lusts. And he seeks to discourage and divide. So as we kind of look over Paul's shoulder as he's writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the first thing we see is that Paul saw the people of the church not like a family, but they were his family. The second thing we see here is a surprise to me. I just confess to you that church is a source of hope 
joy and a crown to me. That's what Paul would have said. Look with me at verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting? We would expect him to say the Spirit of God, the cross, the presence of God. But what does he say? Let's look at that again in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Verse 20, for you are our glory and joy. Does that not surprise you? That the source of his joy was the people of the church. The source of his hope was the people of that church. And the source of the crown, the trophies that he would experience when Jesus returned was the people. Now, is this a contradiction? Didn't Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He certainly did. But I think we can, we can weigh this out, can we not? That his boast is in the cross, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the impact it is having on this group of people. And he is rejoicing in that. When Paul learned of the faith of these new Christians in Thessalonica, his joy soared. He had come to to share this message of Jesus with them. They received this message. And now, as we read in chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks always for our prayers, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God the Father the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are seeing this stuff in you, and our joy is swelling. I suppose it's something like, When a father or mother gets that little bike with some training wheels with their kid and they take the training wheels off and over several afternoons they walk beside their little one trying to teach them how to ride their bike. And they fall and they get discouraged and they cry and then there's that one particular moment where they get it. And it is socially acceptable at that moment for a man and a woman to look like a wild man or a wild woman chasing behind their kids, waving their arms, celebrating this fact that they can now ride a bike. There is a joy that comes across us when that happens, doesn't it? They get it. They finally got it. In the same way, I suppose, in tying shoes, or my, my wife has relayed to me the point where the boys have learned to read, and how joyful that is. Well, now these little Christians, these young Christians, are receiving it. And it just pales in comparisons to now them believing in the promises of God, praying and sharing the gospel with others. It was not only this, this in, their, in their faith, But you also notice that it was in their hope. This caused hope to swell within him as well, as we see that in verse 19. Because as they went to Greece to share the gospel, with the hope that that gospel message would spread throughout the region, now that it was in Thessalonica, they could aid in its process, in its progress. And so that leads us then, as Paul learned of the growing faith of the new Christians, his soul was refreshed. He could look at these people and say, these are my crowns. This past week, Barry Alvarez had this press conference where he announced his retirement. 
I'm not sure if you saw that, uh, that press conference. He is the athletic director at the University of Wisconsin. And there at the press conference, there were these piles of trophies from, uh, my guess is national championships, the Big Ten Conference championships, maybe even some bowl game trophies. They were just all over the place as if to say, look at all he has accomplished. And what Paul would bring is not so much gold trophies. He would bring the people. He would say, look, look who I have brought by the grace of God. I've shared this gospel message, and now I'm bringing them. They are my crowns. And so you young moms or you moms that are changing diapers, that are cleaning up one mess after another, and it seems like such a thankless task, you might say, where, do, where does my life fit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? Well, I would urge you to see yourself there as your children are your crowns and pray for them, love them, share the gospel with them that one day they would be your trophies of grace as they are followers of Jesus. Let me lead then the last one with you. How is it that Paul saw the church? They were his family. They were a source of blessing. And then he come to a place where he said, I can't do it all. I must share leadership with others. We see this here in chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brothers and co-workers in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Paul was a wanted man. He could not return to Thessalonica, so he had to dispatch one of his buddies, Timothy. We saw here in chapter 1, verse 1, there's Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy. And if Paul sent one of these men, it was as if he was sending himself. So, Timothy, you go and you help and you look after that new church there in Thessalonica. Is this not... Jesus' plan as well, if you are reading through the scriptures with us as a church family, I think it was just this morning, we read in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus sent out the 12 disciples. If even Jesus needed help, how much more do we need help? Paul said, I can't do it alone. I must share the leadership with others. So he sends Timothy. And who is this Timothy? He says to him, Timothy, you are a Christian and a proven worker. I need your help. Look with me at verse 2. And when he sent Timothy, our brother, the word brother means there he was a a Christian, and God's co-worker, the word co there, just means he was a team player. The word worker means he was just, he was faithful to carry out the task, a co-worker in the gospel to establish and exhort you in your faith. Paul sent Timothy, there it says, to encourage them in their faith. We could look at verse uh, 3 to see the second thing he was sent to do, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. The second thing he was sent for is you're experiencing some trouble. I'm sending Timothy to tell you that that is natural in the Christian life. When you become a Christian, troubles don't go away. They they will be there, so let me help you sort that out. Timothy's going to talk to you about that, that God uses problems to make you more like Jesus, that he uses these problems to make you stronger. 
that he will use these problems so you can sense his presence in your life. And then look at verses 4 and 5. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. So they were telling them the very foundations of these new Christians is that there's troubles that come. As we've taken a look at our church and wanting to do a better job of coming alongside new Christians, part of the curriculum in that is one chapter, one unit on problems in your life. The the final thing that Timothy was dispatched for, we find here in verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, that is to assess your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he was sent to encourage the new Christians to affirm them in affliction and assess their faith. And having done that, Timothy then comes back to Paul and says stuff like this, probably. Paul, there's questions about your leadership. That They have said that when trouble came, you left. You're going to have to sort that out. Paul, there's questions about Jesus' return. Maybe you can provide some teaching on that. And Paul, there's a lot of promiscuity within Thessalonica. Maybe you can talk about purity. Paul, there's a lot of questions about how to respond to authority. There's some idleness. There's some lazy people. And there's also a a challenge for people to be kind of grumpy. Maybe you can speak about thankfulness. So Paul says, all right. And that's the basis of 1 Thessalonians. He addresses all of those things that Timothy has assessed in their faith. So let's just wind this passage up. Let me just ask you a few questions. As you look around this room today, church family, are these people family to you? I mean, do you do you rejoice with them? Do you do you weep with them? Do you hang out with them? Are they a priority to you? Or is this just a, a social group to you? For Paul, they were family. And are these people a source of of blessing to you? Do you come alongside them when they're struggling and affirm them in those afflictions? When you hear of a new believer, when you see someone getting baptized, do you say, I want to come alongside and find out, how how can I pray for them? How can I encourage them as a new Christian? And am I sharing in the responsibility of ministry? I could tell you this, that one of the most frustrating parts for me in becoming the lead pastor is that I can't do it all. I can't, I can't have the quality of relationships that I used to. And if I'm honest with you, I've tried. <laughs> and, uh, and I hit a wall. And I, I have to have others help me. I need the deacons to help look after families. I need the Bible study leaders to be able to look after your class. I need others to to be in the Word, to be praying, to be sensitive to the Spirit and say, that person, that family is struggling. I will go and I will lend a hand to them. I will pray with them. Each of us need to share in the responsibility. 
I think for some of us, this comes really natural. I love the church because I love people. But there's also another group of us <laughs> that would say, I, I, I love church, but I just don't like the people. This past weekend, uh, my wife and I got to go to her parents, you know Jim and Vanna, their 50th anniversary down in the Milwaukee area where we stayed with her sibling and, and then Michael was there and his family as well. And that is such a milestone, isn't it? 50 years. And so we went out to eat on a Friday and then in the, spent the night there at the home and we were there Saturday. And, and as I was laying in bed late Friday night, early uh, Saturday morning, um, I'm laying beside my wife and and honestly, hardly a day goes by where I'm laying next to her where I say, God, thank you for my wife, Melody. And then thank you for the gift of marriage. And I was just reflecting on marriage. I'm thinking of Jim and Vanna. And then the thought came to me as I'm meditating on this passage as well. You know, marriage wasn't always sweet for me. And it had nothing to do with Melody. I, I think I, maybe you can relate to this. I got married, and, and I, was, I was riding on just excitement during those early stages of marriage. Wow, I get to be married, and I have a companion. I'm, I'm married to my best friend. But in time, the real world, real life, real marriage set in. And my heart began to get uncovered of how, how sinful and how selfish and how irritable and how petty I was, and how I would just say, hey, in my mind, I'll love you if you do this, this, and this. And I don't know if it was a specific day. It certainly was a season in my life where I come to a place where I realized I cannot love my wife like the Bible asked me to love her. God's going to have to do something. And it had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with my sinful hearts. And by the way, I'm a pastor at this time. And as I went to the scriptures, I realized the only source I had to love my wife as Christ loved the church was to review how Christ loved the church. It was in the power of the gospel. And, and we saw this in, in 1 Thessalonians 1 where Paul is rejoicing at the work of these new Christians there in Thessalonica. And he is saying this faith, hope, and love is because you are in Christ. And so I came to a place to say, God, I don't have this in with, within me. She is worthy of this love. So when I became a Christian in the power of the gospel, you gave me love so I could love others. Help me to love her as she is worthy to be loved. And that was when my marriage began to transform as I realized I needed God's love to be able to pour through me to love her. And so why do I share that? Because I think that same love is necessary for the church. I don't know how many times this happens to me. It's quite common where someone will come to our church for a period of time, maybe it's a couple of years, and then I'll get an email, can we stop by and have an appointment? And yeah, well, we've decided to leave the church. Okay, well, tell me about it. Uh, let me give you my list of reasons. And, and they'll provide a list. And what I want to say is, I don't agree with your list. I think it's too short. 
I actually think there's, there's more problems in the church than what you're aware of. Let me add a few to that. But I don't. And I think the same element, the same love that God taught me in loving my wife is the same love that God wants to teach me in loving you and loving the church. So we can look around and say, you know, these people here, you know, there's something wrong with them. And there is. It's sin, right? We all need God's grace. But oh, how wonderful it is when our eyes are open to say, these are my family. And I need God's grace to love them the way they are worthy to be loved. And as we look over Paul's shoulder this morning, we're reminded not only of his example, but it was Jesus' example as well, wasn't it? He said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples. By how? If we love one another. So I don't know of any help when a mom and dad brings their kids in and says, listen, you need to start loving each other right now. And I don't know of a pastor that would stand before you and say, you know what? You need to start loving one another right now. We all know the what, but we need to be reminded of the how. To say this love does not reside within us. There is a source of this love, and it is only available to those who have trusted Christ, who are born again, And when they receive this gift of grace, the Holy Spirit works in their life and allows them to love their wife, their husband, their children, their father and mother. And what a privilege it is to love you and love the church as well. So I call you back to the cross. I call you back to the empty tomb and to the source of grace. Not about trying to work harder to love one another, It's about being reminded, I need help with this. And let's be a church, by the grace of God, that loves one another. You know what I don't want to do today is just, okay, let's stand and let's just start singing a song. I wonder if Miss Karen can come. And if this has been as convicting to you as it has been me, then I want to give you some time just to think about it. And why don't you pray and personalize it during this song, Just As I Am. Let's just hear Miss Karen play this. We're not going to sing it, but I want to give you some time to pray and apply this passage today. Maybe you're like me and and you could hear a passage like this, review it, and say, if I'm honest, I come to church and there are some days where I believe this is true of me. I look around and I just love the people here. But it's not every Sunday. So I pray that you would do a work in my heart. Maybe you could pray that. God, do this work in my heart. Help me to be reminded of how much I need you and need your love to just flow through me. I'm convicted this morning. I need to make this right with my family member, with with someone here within the church. I need to make a phone call today. And and I wasn't very loving. And I'm being called to love others around me. Help me to do that. In, In the same way, 
that that marriage and, and family provides a just a, an education of experience. How so much more does the church of applying the gospel in our relationships and, and with the highs and lows of just knowing the joy of ministry and having the hope of, of seeing the gospel message be carried on unto the younger generations. Lord, we thank you for this family you've given to us. And we thank you for this particular family. And Lord, help us with your help to just minister, care for, be thoughtful, consider others more worthy than us. And so when people come as guests to the church, they look around and say, there is something different about these people. They look just like me, but they really love one another. I'd like to know more about that love and we'd be able to trace that love back to you and you sending your own son on the cross for us. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.